0: Mickey Lawson, and I'm Sarah Elwood, we're the co-directors of the Relational Poverty Network, which is a collaboration among over 500 scholar activists and educators working on questions of impoverishment in the broadest sense. The network convenes conversations amongst people working in very different places around the globe in order to trouble taken for granted ideas about who is poor and why.
1: And this podcast, titled New Poverty Politics for Changing Times, brings you a series of conversations between poverty scholars, activists, and educators. They think about how to keep questions of poverty and inequality front and center at a time when poverty is not part of the national conversation nearly enough.
0: A foundational premise of the work is that poverty is always produced in relation to privilege and produced through multiple intersecting injustices.
1: It's our hope that these conversations prompt you to think hard about questions of impoverishment and to collaborate with people who are working hard on these issues. Thanks for listening. <laughs> This is Ben Gardner, um, professor of global studies and geography at University of Washington Bothell. And I'm here today with Manda Ngoitiko, a colleague and collaborator from northern Tanzania. And we are going to be having a conversation for the podcast series, New Poverty Politics for Changing Times, What Emerging National Populisms Mean for Poverty and Inequality. Hi, Manda.
0: I'm good, Ben. How are you?
1: Good. Do you want to introduce yourself?
0: Yeah. My name is Manda Moitiko. I am from Northern Tanzania. I work with an organization called Pastoral Women's Council, which is devoted um, to promote justice for Muslim women in Northern Tanzania. How long have we known each other, Manda? I think we've known each other for about 30 years. Mm. Yeah. yeah, since, since 1990. Nineteen ninety. What were you doing in nineteen ninety when I met you? I think I was um, I was working with the first Maasai women with the first Maasai organization, which was um, formed to address inequalities and land rights in Marseille land, in Arusha yeah. region. Ar-
1: okay. And you know this series is is thinking about poverty and how poverty is produced in different ways around the world and how it's produced in, in ways that are transnational and local and regional. Can you just talk a little bit about how you think about your communities in Northern Tanzania and the ways in which poverty operates or works in your communities?
0: I actually think um, when you talk about poverty, especially in our local context in Northern Tanzania, The community I come from, um, they are practicing pastoralism, keeping livestock as a main source of income and main source of survival. And um, when you talk about pastoralism, you are actually talking about natural resources. You are talking about land, you are talking about pastures, you are talking about water, and therefore, Moving from one place to another, mobility is a key, is a key for pastoralist survival. And when I say is a key, um, these people are dependent on natural resources and ecosystems. And during the colonial period, most of the land that is um, a key resource to pastoralist survival has been taken in the form of conservation by our colonial masters. Like, around 1959, this is when the Serengeti was created by the British. And actually, twelve master elders, leaders, signed an agreement with um, the British government that they will never come back to the Serengeti, and they have given away as a national heritage or the old heritage for the name of conservation. And for years, the community are no longer grazing or living in Thringed. they They were invicted. And um, this has significantly reduced grazing area for pastoralists. Mm-hmm. So uh, the land which pastoralists are dependent on is actually diminishing because of many factors conservation agencies are still relying on false theories that exclude indigenous minorities in the world um, to actually be, to, to, which which this these agencies and theories are mainly excluding indigenous people from coexisting with wildlife mm. at most of this most of these theories like, they're just not friendly and extreme conservationists are still actually talking today about invicting local community giving a room for conservation and they never really think about who kept these resources who is the guardian of these resources who is the guardian of wildlife who is the guardian of natural resources and for for example for the case of Maasai in northern Tanzania we believe that we are the guardians of our environment because our culture actually since you are young you are taught to protect the natural resources and to as, as a food and medicine and as part of your identity. For example, we don't hunt wildlife. But also when you look at these issues in deep, there's a lot of money coming in, into our countries, into our localities, into our areas. But are this community benefiting? They are not getting any money. And also the colonial government, they did not invest in mass education at all. Because Maasei lifestyle, actually they have their own traditional institution which govern each aspect of their life. And therefore, they did not value the modern education as the best way of life. They did not value... Um, modernization. Instead, they, they fought greatly with the British and with the German. And therefore, they were not friends, but they were friends in giving out their ancestral land. So, um, as a result of uh, this historical kind of land alienation or injustice, Massey community in both Kenya and Tanzania lost so much land, and even after the post-colonial government, they have never got an inch back to them, and they are not getting, getting benefit uh, generated from these natural resources. As a result, for example, in where I come from, because many young people, many mass young people did not go to school, the only job they can get in town is security guarding. Because they are not educated, but they are loyal and they are trustworthy. So this is one of the. Uh, so I can say conservation is actually a root cause of poverty in many society today, and especially indigenous people. This is one aspect, and I think the other historical and powerful aspect is really um, has to do with big power countries, countries like the, like the US, the World Bank, they make a lot of decisions. We borrow, we borrow money from these countries. The money comes with a lot of conditions which are not necessarily important or useful into our countries. And um, we are keeping paying back the loan or the interest we never we are, we are never able to pay full loan we pay the interest and the, the the consequences is actually producing an endless cycle of poverty so this is um this is one aspect of
1: yeah that's great it's not great but it's 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 a really important answer It's interesting, and I think for a lot of you know, for some people listening, of course, the idea of conservation as a barrier uh, to, to prosperity and as a, a form of dispossession makes sense, but to, to other listeners that's not such a common idea. When people say, but of course, you know, there must be benefits, there must be value associated to conservation, and many people who have argued for conservation would would argue that. It brings revenue via tourism, or it brings jobs, or it brings investment. So is there a way that those arguments work? Do they make sense in the case of northern Tanzania? Or or why is it that people can continue to defend arguments that that conservation should be a benefit for local communities?
0: I actually think there is a, a great benefit in tourism, and it's not a waste. It is true that a lot of money comes into our country through tourism, and it is one of the key... Um, it is one of the viable way to get hard currency into our country. But um, I'm, I'm actually saying that who is getting this money? Who is benefiting? To which expense? Tourism creates jobs. Tourism creates hard currency. But also touristic companies, when they are given the land, they take all the water, which local people are are depending. We need tourism that put people on the center of their development. Mm. We need equitable sharing of tourism money, tourism revenue. We need a model of conservation that recognizes the right of those people who are living with animals the people who are affected with the wildlife, the people who are interacting daily. We need their traditional knowledge to be recognized and respected. Mm. We need the conservationists to, to to know that there is a, a, a big um, indigenous knowledge. They found these areas. They have been protected by these indigenous people. They need to find a win-win situation and, uh, and create a balance between conservationist and community coexistence. I don't, believe in alien, I don't believe in eviction to give room for conservation. Hmm.
1: Can, can you think, I know you've been working on this for a long time, and different organizations in northern Tanzania have been working on these issues. Do you have any examples of a, of a kind of collaboration? One of the questions for the series is how might activists and scholars or activists and organizations collaborate do you have any examples of, of collaborations between Maasai or Maasai organizations and groups that are trying to, to to promote a different form of conservation, a more collaborative one, one that actually accounts for the lives of indigenous people and, and pastoralisms? Do you have any examples of collaborations?
0: Actually, there is quite an example. Currently in Tanzania, there is um over the last 15 years, there have been uh, a lot of touristic companies. For example, there is a company called End Beyond. End Beyond, uh, they have a contract with, uh, with one of the, our villages, Ipak, in Tuloliondo. And they actually sit with the community, with the village of Ololosoko, they discuss what it means to, to protect the resources. What it means to set aside a parcel of land from, from, the, from the village and do tourism, um, and they they sit. They develop a 10 years plan on how to protect this environment, how to protect nature, how to pro- protect wildlife, and how best the, the community can benefit from this joint venture. So there's a discussion which has resulted in a mature and beneficial um, agreement between the company and the community. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and this agreement, place a high um, respect into community land because the land belongs to the community and this company is only using this land to generate ve- shared re- revenue between the community and this company and uh, a lot of people are employed and also the community respect and value this wildlife in the village land because they are getting revenue so this is one of the This is one of a good working model, but it it did not actually come easily. The community had to struggle. Before this company came and sat with the community, they had a long, uh, they had a a court case. The community decided to take them to court and eventually they come and say, okay, let's sit on the table, let's see, let's discuss, let's create a win-win situation. So I feel like there's a lot of companies who are like, who understand the philosophy of community tourism, who who sit with the community and develop joint ventures, and discuss about benefit and long term investment, because they also have to invest it to get more money. And I think this model is working. But there is actually a current new model of conservation which is emerging in Tanzania over the last ten years. Uh, this model is called a wildlife management areas. And this is completely a manipulative model. Mm. This model requires the village to set aside a village land for biological conservation within a village land. And the tricky is that um, the decision-making power is actually centralized to the Ministry. The Ministry of Natural Resources actually make all the decision um, on um, who should invest there, how livestock should be grazed. And it takes all the power from the village government, which is actually mandated to manage natural resources on the village land in Tanzania. So, um, but still, um, still there is room to improve, because in Tanzania, Tanzania have a very good land law than any other country I think in the world, because of the historical background of our. Found of the Nation Nyerere, who recognize customary rights and is very well stipulated in the land law that the village council have authority to manage and control the land in in the village. But um yeah, but always the Wildlife Act, which is also really strong in Tanzania, always tend to be like more strong. Hmm.
1: So I mean so one of the other questions from the series is about sort of what actions do people take to enact, to resist, you know, these poverty-producing practices. So can you talk a little bit, you were talking a little bit about legal cases, right? That that what it took for this company to negotiate was not just simply goodwill, but actually motivation on the community's part and, yeah. and legal legal action. Can you just tell us a little bit about how communities in northern Tanzania what sort of actions in terms of organizing or legal or political or social media what do people do to enact more equitable relationships with for example an investor or or a state institution are there some examples from northern tanzania about about the tactics and the actions
0: actually northern tanzania is one of the very um the community Masai community in Northern Tanzania are the most organized people, I think, in the country. They are really like, uh, they, are, they are they are front of their own lives. Mm. And um, they, there is a various, a lot of examples of this activism, community activism. Um, but also, the Maasai community in Northern Tanzania, they have been able to use the existing legal structures within the government to defend their rights. A lot of villages in northern Tanzania, they have land use plans, they have certificate of uh, village lands which give them power actually to kind of want resources or manage resources even though um, the president of the country is a custodian of all land in Tanzania. But um, we have such a democratic system that is provided by the law to actually question existing inequality and for many many years um, maasai community had been resisting eviction for example from conservationists uh, or eviction of eviction resulting from privatization mm-hmm. of some of the land in northern tanzania and there is countless example of uh, of this so the community do big meetings they they discuss They develop press release. They go and meet their own politicians in Dar es Salaam or in Dodoma. The women organize themselves. The traditional leaders are well organized. They organize themselves. They contribute their own resources, like money. They sell cows to get financial resources. And they also really use media, international media, local media, to bring these issue, issues out. Yeah. But mass community are also very good in sitting and discussing and having a dialogue. So um, we have been using like, a dialogue with government, with leaders, with those companies themselves. And also we have few litigations in court, actually. Like, we dem- if the dialogue does not work, it should not be the end you go to the legal, sometimes you actually don't get justice. It takes time to win, but at least you have attempted. Mm -hmm. So when you take a company to court, the dialogue continues. So taking a company to court is just like another way of, of really like, um, is is, is, is advocacy. Mm -hmm. Because it gives you a room to continue discussing, it gives you a room to lay out the issues and make the issues really real. So, um, mobilization, organization, coming together, solidarity, and really analyzing the laws, analyzing historical um, perspectives, is, is, is important remedies for what we have been doing for years.
1: Great. Thanks so much, Manda. So you mentioned women's the role of women yeah. in, in this activism. And could you just talk more? I know that your work is very intersectional and, and, and geography is always interested in how something like poverty is is obviously produced in intersectional ways. And I know for you, a lot of your work is around women's advocacy and women's rights, but yeah. you've also been talking with us about land rights so can you talk about how those issues come together and how your work with women informs the land struggle and maybe how the land struggle informs your work with women
0: actually we have been working with women we work with uh, women groups in three districts in northern tanzania and we do a lot of work around uh, women women the, the women are responsible to look after children and make sure that everyone have food in their family and uh, because of drought and climate change there have been a significant um, drastic change of life and this means women are taking more the lead of the lead and control of the household level and therefore is also placing them with a the burden and responsibility of taking care of the family and therefore some of um uh, one of our key area of work is really to promote women economic empowerment and t- to make sure that they they have say in decision making and property ownership. Mm. And um, we, we work through women's groups, we mobilise women to form their own groups and um, attend meetings if there is an issue like land rights issues. They discuss, they discuss because women are the most affected of the family, so when there is this issue of land alienation, women are the primary. Uh, women are the the first people to be affected because men can run away, <laughs> but women will never leave children. So it's really like something which is like it's directly affecting women, yeah. and therefore there have been a there have been a lot of demonstration against the companies that t- tend to take Marseille land or against the decision. That are made by those in power, like conservationists, hmm. so women are so much aware of this issue, and i 'm um, really glad that they they' involved
1: so just for example, how do women become aware how how, how do large numbers of women become aware of a, of an issue or a conflict that would that would
0: actually we have there's women in the village government, and the village government is a legal institution starting from the village level at the very, very basic level, at the household level. So there are women in the village government who are elected by women to represent their interest at the village council. But also there is women in the district as councillors. Um, so having women in different community institutions is very powerful. So when anything comes like, any land dispute always is discussed in the village village council. Mm -hmm. And when women are not satisfied with a decision or the discussion, they have the right and they have a room to call a meeting of women in that particular village and discuss it as women, how it affected them as individuals as well as the community. And um, normally, they organize themselves in one village and. When they, when it's necessary, they they organize collectively and they unite more than one village. And they, they what do they do normally? They they write like a, a statement. Mm-hmm. They call the leaders who are in power that time. They discuss and if they are not satisfied, they go to the DC office, which is the district commissioner. They go to his office, they complain, and if it's not enough, they go to the regional level. They write. And um, if they're male leaders, because our, our leadership is entirely dedicated, um, dictated by men. If they are not satisfied, they go to the regional commissioner office. And most of the time, when there is a women meeting, big solidarity women meeting, people tend to listen. Hmm. Yeah.
1: So. So, so it, yeah. yeah. I mean, so this is fantastic to hear. I mean, how can you just... Can you give us an example of like when, like what's yeah. the point? Wh- yeah. What would be a point where maybe women bring an issue and some maybe an example of when the, let's say it gets heard at the village level or it gets heard at the district level, and then another yeah. example when yeah. it doesn't, and how? What are the next steps if 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 it doesn't get heard at the village level? How do women actually say we're going to the regional commissioner? Where do they get the money to go, transport? I mean how did they even get to that level of showing up at the regional commissioner's office to, to demand or to protest?
0: <laughs> so I can give, actually, um, this is a very tricky question, Ben, uh, but I can give one of the examples. Um, around 2013, actually, we have been fighting with one of the biggest companies, the Arab company, which is, has been given land in in one of our villages, in several of our villages. Mm-hmm. And um, in 2013, we experienced um, a serious in. in 2000, 2009, mm-hmm. we experienced a big, large inviction as a result of this company. Bribed some officials, and um, the Maasai were told to to go away because this company who is doing hunting they don't want to see any more community in that particular land, mm. despite the fact that this this land belonged to the community and uh it was a very it was not a good a good a good a good situation where the women and the community collectively discussed this so much in detail. And they said, we must resist. The bombers were burned. People were beaten. But the women, actually, the first initiative, which was really like good, women said, we cannot move out of here. Let our houses be burned. Let our food be burned. We will remain here. And they, they decided to remain in Osero, a place called Osero. And they never moved. But while some were some some resisted to move, the rest of the women mobilized themselves all the way from March to June. It was just a demonstration. And we the women decided and the community decided with leaders of that time that each village out of seven villages they will elect two men and four women to actually go to Dodoma, yeah. and they went. To the, the, the The community contributed financial resources, and they went to Dodoma for two weeks. They went to the prime minister because they did not get help at the regional level. Yeah. They went to the prime minister, and uh, they st- we we stayed there for two weeks. And the prime minister had to send a team to come to Loliondo. And the eviction stopped. So he came and declared that this land belonged to the community. And therefore, this company should never evict them. And this was a big victory. So the community mobilized their own resources. They mobilized financial resources. People sold cows. People sold goods. Because this land, without, without this land, there is no survival, there is no identity, there is nothing. It's just like a diminished community. So it was really beautiful to see that uh, the people decided. We collected all the documents that to justify that this land belonged to us. The village title deeds were collected. The bylaws that were passed by the district council, because in Tanzania, the, the village actually can develop their own bylaws on how they use the land and be passed by the village council, pass, passed by the district council, and is like legally recognized that this land belongs to you. But also the Land, the land Act gives these people rights that they are legal owners of this land. So this is one of the example of the struggle that women were fully involved in northern Tanzania. Uh, but we are now lucky because after this president came into power, President Makufuli, he understood our issue and he's really working on it and we are positive that something good will come out of it because since he came to power, we have never experienced inviction anymore. Mm. Yeah, <coughs> and we feel like this is going to be resolved because he's a he's a pro-people president.
1: This is such an interesting story I and mean, there's so many examples around the world where You know, enclosures, privatization, evictions, they just happen. And even if there's opposition, it's hard for communities to organize to the level that you're describing about actually getting to the level of a ministerial inquiry and national publicity. Is there, what do you think, you know, what is it about your communities in northern Tanzania? Do you think there's something unique or historical that enabled the Maasai and the women, the Maasai women in particular, from taking such a big stand that perhaps that we don't see in other parts of Tanzania or other parts of the world? Is there something, do you think, about the history of of your region, the sort of... I
0: think, I definitely think that um, the Maasai of Loliondo and Northern Tanzania are very well organized and they are aware because a lot of land has been taken historically mm. that belonged to them. Mm-hmm. You look at the Serengeti National Park, it was a Masai land. You look at Ngorongoro Conservation, belong to them. Tarangiri National Park, so Game Reserve. And I think that um this this is really making them like to stand because there is no any other place to go and there's no any other alternative. And the community are still dependent on pastoralism and pastures and land, and mm. so therefore, they are very much aware that without this land, the land is the land is not enough mm-hmm. to cater the growing population, and therefore, the small land that is remaining should belong to them. So I think historical kind of land alienation has made them to be aware, but also as in the history of. Um, Our our first member of parliament, Mr. Lazaro, I think you know, you met him, Mm -hmm. was an activist. And he influenced all of us. He influenced the young people, women and men, to become activists and to always assess the situation before he actually say yes. Hmm. He was a a prominent activist, a human rights activist, a land rights activist. And um, I think he definitely influenced the young generation to think twice before they just to say yes, mm-hmm. and I think this is his legacy. He has also contributed a lot, but also a lot of NGOs have been mobilizing the community, training them on land right, training them on their right, and uh, I think this knowledge has played a key role in empowering local community in Tanzania to stand up. Wow, yeah. great! But it's, it's not only in northern Tanzania. There is a lot of there's a lot of people in in Tanzania who are actually aware of that, right? And they are able to speak mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So yeah. So and you're talking about Parka Puni, who's who was who the member of parliament in Lwando. Yeah. What? So can one of the questions of this series is is that often? The politics of these times are are often about isolating people from each other, exclusionary politics. And I know I know one of the challenges or the critiques of of struggles of indigenous people, for example, like the Maasai, is that is that there are ways sometimes to to, to think that the Maasai are so different, they're so unique that you know it, that it's hard to build alliances. Like it's hard to think about poverty in the ways that poverty affects the Maasai as perhaps similar to the way poverty may affect people living on the outskirts of Dar es Salaam or poverty affecting people in the agricultural community. Mm. And it seems to me that your work is often about building networks and alliances that go beyond just indigenous struggles. Yeah. Is there a way you can just tell us a bit about about the way that your work or the way that the Maasai struggle is not simply about Maasai land rights, but thinking more broadly about anti-poverty struggles, about human rights, about women's rights.
0: Yeah, I think uh, part of our uh, part of my work, I really believe in networking, and I believe in um, collaboration. We have been creating network to talk about these issues as pastoralists, Mm. and and not only the Maasai, because other. There is a lot of, there is more minority in Tanzania. There is pastoralists like the Mm Barabaik, who have lost a big, big chunk of their land during the NAFCO time, the agriculture, big farms. And they are actually, um, they are the minority, but they are pastoralists. So we have been creating alliance among pastoralists themselves in Tanzania. It's not only, it's not only enough to say Maasai, Mm -hmm. but who are the pastoralists? There is more than, Maasai who are pastoralist, So there's small other groups, like mm-hmm. the Barabai, they are pastoralists, but they don't speak our language. But we connect with them. We are collaborating with them, and we are working with them. But also, we have been creating a big network um, with, for example, big organization, National Human Rights Organization, like Legal and Human Rights Center. Mm-hmm. is a national organization, which they, 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 they are entirely working to promote to promote both women's rights and Tanzanian rights across the country. We have been creating a network so when there's is big issues we always go to legal and human rights center they have lawyers and they work pro bono. But also we have been working with women rights organizations in Tanzania like um, Tanzania women lawyers They they is a very good organization to work with especially when we address uh, specific cases that are Affecting women individually like domestic violence cases. We cooperate with them. We collaborate with them But also there is now a very big national organization called um, Human Rights Defenders Coalition in Tanzania, which is a network of civil society organizations in Tanzania and normally when we have a big issue coming up in in northern Tanzania or in Tanzania we take we take these issues to them, and they send lawyers, and they have professionals. So, we have been actually able and successful to do all these human rights, poverty-related issue, and res- and and resist to big conservation agenda because of networking. Okay. So, it's not it's not something that one person can do or one institution can do. It's actually a collective effort of both pastoralist organizations and non-pastoralist organizations, and even international communities sometimes, they they want to know what is happening. But I also have to say that Tanzania is actually different from many other countries in the world, because we always have that space to talk about issues and even to negotiate with the government, and they listen us. For example, for the issue of Loliondo, since 2016, the The regional commissioner of Arusha have taken our issues very, very seriously. He was able to listen. He was able to develop a critical understanding of why this community are resisting this. Hmm. And he was able actually to listen and come to Loliondo, go one village to another, listen to the community, understand the issue. And he was able to go to the government and say, these people, they need to be listened. They have an agenda. And this is one of the... Really, the, the the achievement that we, I think we have been able to to create awareness even within the government themselves to understand and listen us, and sit in one table, something which has never happened before. So yeah.
1: Well, what, one of the one of the questions of the series, which are I think a lot of conversations between activists like yourself and academics is are there, what do you see as the role for researchers, for scholars and, and, and researchers in, in these sort of movements, in these struggles? Do you, do you think there is, yeah?
0: Yeah, I really think that researchers and scholars, they have a key role to play. They have a role to play to actually provide evidence and answer critical questions, ask and answer, and answer critical questions related to conservation. Why this is happening? What is this theory? What is the facts? Mm. Because a lot of people are making decisions based on hypotheses, based on false theories, and I think the role of researchers is actually to critically research and provide evidence of of the knowledge, indigenous people' knowledge, the way they interact with this environment, and and really provide an answer that without without this land, these people cannot survive. So the role of researchers is really to question big companies like big organization like unesco like GIZ, like frankfurt zoological society in tanzania and provide the backup and evidence to back up our cases and, mm. read, and 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 to provide unbiased answer mm. and critically link link the researchers in tanzania and back here to kind of come up with a good Way or good model of conservation than just following on preserv uh, conservation um, conservative conservation ideology hmm. so it is really the role of researcher to see what model is what what is a good model that brings coexistence what is a good model that that takes takes into account conservation at the same time without actually um, affecting People who have been living in th- with these resources for years, so your role is to do research to provide evidence and to cri- critically ask you questions on what is good and mm. what is ugly <laughs> <laughs> and do you think how, how does
1: how does that research get back to communities so sometimes research happens sometimes it gets published sometimes it gets talked about in the press how, how if, if research are researchers are doing this work, if they're asking critical questions, if they're trying to produce knowledge, how does that information make its way back into the debates in Tanzania? How does it make its way back
0: into organizations like yours? How Actually, do, you there, is a, there is a very, a very good way of reaching, of enriching communities this information. Um, network and, and, and the current computer, computer and network communication has made the globe like a small village. Mm. So there's a lot of way you can actually publish your research and make sure that it's disseminated and it reaches community. If a researcher is dedicated and committed and careful to, to push the agenda, they always know how to make sure that it reaches the community. For example, you can create a blog, you can put in a social media, you can write and send to the districts. You can, say, you can send to our ministries. You can also send to universities because there's a lot of university scholars in Tanzania who are critical and who are able to take these issues up. Mm. So I think um, it's better to do it than not to do it. Yeah.
1: Fantastic. So the last question of this series, we're almost done, is... Um, is if there are any key ideas or key words or key concepts that you think people should be thinking about or scholars should be questioning that are related to your work um, that might give us different ways of thinking about poverty.
0: I actually think that um, the concept of community-based conservation should be critically looked, at, looked up and uh, critically examined. We need to come up. With um, a good model that involves local community in management and dis- and and place them place them in the center of decision making, we need to to see how local communities benefit and manage these resources. And alienating more community land or taking land away from the community is not an answer to conservation.
1: So it sounds like you have your you 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 too want to get dig deeper into this concept.
0: Yeah, I want to get deeper in this concept and get an answer and try to change people's attitudes and mind that this is enough. The land that belong to conservation now in our countries is enough. Hmm. What we left with is not for only westerners to come and and enjoy but we also need our country or our children to enjoy from their ancestors lands. It's right. enough. People can live with the conservation, in yeah. a good way.
1: Thanks, Manda. Is there anything else you wanna say or ask, or anything else on your mind?
0: Yeah. Um, no. No. have santisana. Santisana then.